And we're live with our 227th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on X, joined by my co-host, Seth Law at Seth Law on X. Seth, say hi. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. We've got a few things that we wanted to talk about today. Um, first off, though, it's December in memoriam of, you know, everyone's years. You know, a couple of years ago, I've got, you know, my log for shell sweater on um just because right like uh, remembering a time when everyone was all panicked well i mean i guess everyone else felt the q4 push that you and i have felt for years i guess i don't know um yeah as far as everything else goes uh we've got a few things that are on our calendar up and coming um i think both ken and i will be at cactus con i did actually get my ticket um, it wasn't a, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, I missed the CFP on that one, right? Like it was the came and go, came and went in the midst of everything else, but, um, we'll definitely be on site. I uh, probably going to reach out to the organizer there and see about doing a happy hour or something associated with the conference, um, as we'll be on site. Um, yeah, outside of that, I did want to get a, <laughs> give, yeah, everything. Okay. <laughs> No, I'm reading Slack. Sorry, our, our absolute AppSec Slack. <laughs> oh, sweet. Okay, good call. Um, yeah, solar wind shirt. There we go, right? Leisure suit, Larry, yes. Um, I did want to give a shout out to uh, Redpoint as our sponsor uh, for today. Uh, Redpoint specializes in code security for coders, bolstered by years of experience testing applications and conducting code reviews against all types of applications, including web, mobile, AI, and Web3 apps. Redpoint also tr offers training to help ground your teams in better security practices across the development lifecycle. So check out redpointsecurity.com for more information and put your company on a path to better security. Um, I did also want to give a shout out to Dry Run. I know there's big stuff happening today, Ken. I don't know if we want to get into that now or we can yeah. get into it later. Uh, might be a good thing to address because I, I have had questions pop up about what's going on over at Dry Run, but I've been cagey because I'm like, I don't know what I can say, but you should talk to Ken. So yeah, with yeah. that, what's Today what's I can actually on, say stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So first of all, for our listeners, today is our open beta release. So if you wanna try the very early days of the product, uh, you can go to app.dryrun.security and you can sign up for an account. It takes like 30 seconds to set up. I mean, it's really just installing a GitHub app. Um, so you can install it on your personal repos if you want, um, even public stuff, if you just want to do some low friction, you know, testing or, uh, low risk testing or whatever. Uh, but in any case, the, yes, yeah, I'm just super excited, obviously. Cause like, you know, it's been, I think for me, I left GitHub and it's, it's been about nine months. And through that nine month journey, we were trying to find a pro uh, the, we knew what the goal was, but how to how to hit that is a very hard thing to do and meet a lot of different criteria, but also stay in line with your product vision. Um, we had a lot of early days. I remember at KernelCon, I was trying to hack together our, our first earlier prototype of something that we ended up kind of dumping and saying, okay, I think this is the better way to go about it. But in case anyone's curious, well, you know, I have a blog post up uh, discussing a bit about the product and, and what we're going for at uh, our blog uh, for dry run security. 
And um, you know, what I'll say is that what we're trying to do right now is the ultimate goal is to take in a bunch of different factors about the code, that's not just the code that's changing, but who's changing the code and a whole bunch of factors. I've kind of listed the, the, the first few on, the, the, on that blog. Um, but take those different factors, perform contextual security analysis, um, which is getting the entire picture, taking in a bunch of different contexts. Um, and then, yeah, just surfacing in a, a, a risk score. But right now, you know, we're really trying to tune up our individual analyzers that are pulling different information, you know, like what type of app is this? And, you know, is it, are you introducing changes that have like, you know, sensitive files, sensitive functions, um, you know, the obvious thing that we're working on is code, actual code analysis as well to provide you with security risks, um, meaning like traditional AppSec risks, but it's not just traditional AppSec risks, right? We're talking about the intent of the author or their level of familiarity with the code or the brittleness of the code or a whole bunch of other factors to include other stuff that we always talk about is like, are you, are you changing something that's an important framework nuance bit? And like, should we be concerned about that? So there's a whole bunch of stuff that we're going for here. We also have a chat bot in there as well that uh, developers can use in future iterations. Uh, to, I mean, they can use it now, but um, it's going to be fine-tuned in future iterations to, to really give contextually, contextually relevant answers to that uh, specific PR and repo. So I don't know, man, like I'm really stoked. It's, you know, finally something I can give to people to start kind of helping improve our engines, but then ultimately help them, you know, in turn uh, produce some some actual signal in the, in the noise. Um, in a helpful way. Uh, anyways, I, yeah, so I, I don't want to spend the whole episode obviously talking about that, but I'm just very, very excited. So once again, you can go to, and I'll put this in the uh, chat here, you can go to HTTPS uh, uh, app.dryrun.security and get started. Um, we will gate you in though. We are like doing this on a case-by-case -case basis. So uh, okay, just something sweet. to be aware of. Yeah, so we will, you will get activated. Um, it, it should be fairly short, uh, but we do a little bit of vetting of, of who, who's all coming in. Anyways, all right, so not to bore everybody and yeah, lose viewers, yeah, I, I'll, uh, I, I mean, I'll stop. No, no, that's fine, right? Like, you know, I, I mean, any of the tools, the new tools that are coming out, right? Like, like Dry Run, like actually having a demo of those would be good at some point as well, um, because I, I know Personally, it popped up because we're doing, you know, we've got some, of course, we got some stuff that we're working on um, and we use GitHub. So we had installed, you know, I guess the beta beta, right? The dev instance. Um, alpha. <laughs> the alpha. Free alpha. The free alpha. <laughs> but we've been playing with like uh, some of the responses. So I had um, a couple of the guys that were in there doing some work and they're like, oh, we're seeing these like PRs come in from dry run about, you know, sensitive files or things that aren't quite set up yet. And I was like, yeah um you know pay attention to it uh but yeah we need to like we need to run through it again so and that yeah yeah for anyway, sure it's it, it's, it's only it's, gonna get better yep yep it's yeah. iterating right like that's that that's the whole idea i mean we do that uh around the you know across the board um you know and i and i think we've seen this over time as well i i was on a I, before we get into articles and other stuff right like i was on a um Oh, yeah, <laughs> I spelled it wrong. <laughs> you spelled Thank it wrong. You. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, I was like on a call recently with a, you know, with a client. Like we, we talk about this iterative approach to security in general and like development as it goes. Right. 
Um, I had like we were on phone on the phone with a client that I've been working with since I actually since we started Redpoint, right? So we're talking five, six years. Remember coming into their app early days, like some old Java spring app from you know that had been developed years and years ago. Um, and you know, finding, you know, dozens of things that were wrong with it, you know, outside of, you know, everything from portions of even SQL injection that were in there to today, you know, they've got a whole like security program running, like we're talking five, six years later. And uh, what we're seeing is actually our life is super difficult when it comes to, to finding vulnerabilities and, you know, recommending stuff that they have to do. They're at this point now that when we discuss security things, it's all about okay, what's the process? How do we make sure that we're implementing things? How, how do we make sure that we're staying secure as opposed to, oh crap, you know, everything's on fire and I need to go to fix 500 things. But I, I, where I was going with that is just this iterative approach to security, right? Like those success stories that we have are working with teams and working with products year over year to make it better as opposed to what do you call it? Seagoing or whatever it is, where somebody flies in, shits on everything, and then flies away, right? Like, and it doesn't take that approach of, hey, we're trying to build something together. It's just more of a, you know, one-off, whatever, you know, scan or you know, vulnerability report, you know, that you that we happen to stumble across. Well, that's kind of my intention, right? Is like to build something that you can actually upload, literally upload your own you know, sort of knowledge base of things that typically go wrong, stuff that auditors have hit you on, stuff that's coming through bug bounties and all of that, and then use that as a source of, of, you know, hey, this is your specific application type. These are the changes that are going on, and these are the problems that you've had in the past, and then surface risk, you know, uh, on patterns like that, as well as a bunch of other patterns. But I think that's like, that's kind of like definitely the, the, the biggest issue I have right now in our programs is that we we have all this data that we just don't use, right? It just sits around. It's like, to your point, like you come in and you do an assessment. Maybe you do that twice a year, right? Every six months. Cool. Um, there's definitely some, you know, collateral that's getting produced of value that that yep. shows, like that literally creates patterns for what are like known bad patterns for your app. Same thing happens with bug bounty programs. Same thing happens you know, with valid scanner findings, there's a whole bunch of things that you we, we use, but we don't, we use them as a more reactive function than we do ever a proactive function, you know, but we could, we could make those proactive things. And when you do pattern analysis and you have LLMs and you have RAG, there's no reason to take that data and let it just sit around and not use it. And so that's, that's kind of been my whole thing the last you know i'd say half of the year is like damn the technology exists let's use it let's do things a little differently than we have been in the past let's get off the this you know everybody says let's get off the hamster wheel let's let's do that you know stop mm -hmm. stop letting that that data just sit around and be you know unused i'm just yeah myself, but you get it no no and 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 that's going to be that i like you and i've been talking you know as you've been digging into this and some of the stuff that you're building from context and analysis like also like including that in um like the code review portions right like our manual code reviews we're always going to be doing manual code reviews at some level right like you know sure, we're going to be validating to. Code. yeah we should be but we can speed up a lot of what we're doing right like i, I man i got i gotta tell you just being able to throw like i've been throwing vtm at an lom right 
and asking it the questions that we do. And that usually takes us like three or four hours to get through in the course. And I'm like, damn, that only took like 10 minutes, right? Like, tell me X, Y, and Z, tell me how authorization's done, tell me like all these different things. And it understands enough um, just based on like tokenization and the vectors and like, you know, the, the language and natural questions that it's almost like we're starting to just take our, you know, our information gathering phase of the, of the course of code review of the code review methodology. And Hey, let's just give the LLM that and let it tell us or let AI tell us what it thinks we can go validate. Um, Cause there's still portions that it, you know, that it fails on. And we'll, we'll definitely show that in the course and the upcoming versions. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Like it's, you know, authorization stuff that once you start digging into actual, like calls, inside of functions that do things that it you know it can't necessarily figure out what the context is but there's a lot of that you know base level context that it's very easy for it to understand we can train it well so and that's kind of the that's what i was gonna say that there's it's not and it's not just training models right it's actually like the whole the whole concept of feeding it again documents that actually answer the the question in the way that you're you know you have to pose the question correctly and and also the, the, when you talk about context, there's what I've learned is also like context is a, uh, it's a tricky thing um, in how you represent it, what you're giving, how you almost have to like chain essentially um, outputs uh, fr from, so like you're not, you're not feeding like one giant bit of context, you're almost like creating little bits of context with, uh, you know, kind of quick calls and then using the output of those calls that, that becomes more effective. Um, but again, you mentioned training. Training is also effective and helpful there. Also, the the type of model you use. Like one thing that I learned early on is like, you know, of course we all gravitate to trying ChatGPT and OpenAI, real, you know, just to get off the ground and get going. But what you'll soon learn is that each model has like things that it's, uh, which is our first article is kind of going to talk about Hugging Face, and so I'm going to bring up Hugging Face anyways, naturally as part of this because like they host yeah. a ton of various models that are like tuned for whatever thing you actually need. Um, you know, a good example would be like, even if you look at uh, the Code Llama models, right? Code Llama has essentially three separate types of, of models and then three separate sizes of models. So the sizes are like 7B, uh, 32B and uh, 14, I think 14 or yeah, something like that, 14B. Um, so that's that's the size and that's whatever you're going to get you know larger size means better better answers of course um but uh what i will say is that there's like i said three different types so an example would be you know there's there's one type that's just great for inference so it, it's like 7b or 14b or 32b it's just inference that's all it does um and that is better for like auto filling and inference so like creating your own co-pilot kind of thing. That would be a great model for that. Uh, they also have ones that are fine-tuned just for Python. And those are, you know, 7B hyphen Python, so on and so forth. Um, so they're just tuned for like the Python language. And then they've got Instruct, which Instruct operates more like a Q&A, kind of a chat type of thing on code, for instance, right? So even within just one type of model set, you've got multiple ways that it can be used, will be used, and and the way that it's actually like 
what it's actually tuned for and its purpose. If you go to Hugging Face, right, like they're kind of the app store of models right now or the de facto sort of um, like a GitHub or a package manager, uh, which is the whole point of the, the first article. Um, if we want to yeah. pull that up. Uh, sure. But yeah, I mean, there's, it's just, there's so many options. That's the, that's the crazy thing. Um, and there's so much out there. It can be a bit to a bit overwhelming in the beginning, you know, for sure. I mean, even every day new stuff comes out. So it's always a little overwhelming. Yeah. Let's see here. Are, wait, are you talking about the, uh, the dry run post or you wanted to talk about? No, the, no, no. The, the hugging tokens. face. Uh, API okay. tokens. Yeah. I just posted. Yeah, I yeah. Just posted. Yep, yep. Oh, thank you. All right. Cool. Should I give a summary? Do you want to give a summary? Yeah, uh, go for it. Go for it, right? Like, yeah. So basically, Lasso Security did some research. They found that approximately, I think it was approximately 1,500 um, repos they were able to, or 1,500 tokens, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I read this a few days ago, but I believe it was at like 1,500, yeah, 1,500 plus tokens were exposed, you know, the same kind of thing that we see, right? Um, like Slack tokens or AWS or anything else, people commit them, you know, if there's a pattern to catch that type of sensitive key, that format of sensitive key, uh, you know, I know for a fact GitHub will send off to the uh, the various vendors like Slack for their Slack key, AWS for their key, et cetera, et cetera. They'll actually send to those vendors like, hey, we saw this. That way the vendors can make a decision on like, do they want to revoke that token and, and you know, recycle it or excuse me, um, rotate it, uh, you know, whatever, whatever they want to do, alert the user, whatever the, the individual providers want to do. So this is no different. I just, I'm assuming that nothing has been built for hugging face. Yeah. Um, and so that was really kind of this article. It was like, I, the article, the research in the article was like um, good in the sense of the, the meat of it. I thought there, there were some, there were some parts of it that were a little just from like a, how do I say it? A little aggressive. I felt like, um, you know, not, not the nicest, uh, phrasing at times and, and things like that. Um, I actually find that to be pretty important. I feel like as a security, like when we find things, we should rep pretty hard, uh, in, in the nice category or at least in the kind category anyways, empathetic category, we kind of have to, uh, but in, in any case, the meat of it was really good. Um, but ultimately, what I, what I realized after reading, I was like, oh, it's just like what happens with every package manager, essentially. And so those tokens got stolen. Yeah. Um, they were able to, you know, if you have the token, you can do whatever with with the repo that hold, hosts the data set and, and the models, which I think was kind of the point. So um, you have essentially the ability to just put on your own LLM, right? Your own malicious model and data sets. Uh, which is pretty nasty and pretty nefarious. So really, they're just they're suffering from the same thing that every other registry it, it goes through. I'll say that you know they do have some documentation because like I originally saw this because Clint Gibbler tweeted it out, and yep. um, I read the article and I was just curious. Anything AI, obviously, I'm usually, and security, I'm usually curious about. And so then uh, I was like, well, let I mean, if they're going through the same thing as every other package manager. Let's look at their documentation to see if they even, you know, what's their security kind. Of, do they even talk about it? They do actually talk a little bit about it. I, I'm guessing, and and they they even say like I even re re replied in the tweet like um, a pick a screenshot of the tweet if I can pull it up here or excuse me of their docs pages, and it said uh, I want to get this right and say it verbatim. 
Um, it says, try not to leak your token, though you can always rotate it. Anyone will be able to read or write your private repos in the meantime, which is, and they put the poop emoji. I'm like, all right, yeah, cool. You're right. You're right. So what the, so, so what I assume though, is that, you know, really this is one of those cases where we have something that's being recognized as a huge package manager. Now it's going to become more popular and has become more popular as people, uh, have realized the power of AI and are starting to like implement it into pretty much every product that I know of. Uh, so now you've got to do a few, a lot of things, right? So now hugging face has to do all of the things that like an NPM went through. And I was there for when, when NPM went through like a hardcore cleanup of their security and required MFA and, you know, looked at all the top, uh, way, all, all the ways to secure like the, the top, package managers and that becomes a game of figuring out the right heuristics and analytics to find out who what we can sh should consider an account that should require mfa and all those other security protections that were baked in so now they're going to go through that natural evolution as well so what are your thoughts on here on this is this like a failure of hugging face is this just natural evolution do you have other thoughts this is curious yeah i i mean honestly like i i i read through and i had a similar response to you i was like oh yeah token leakage right like for whatever reason um this has been a huge, well, and not for whatever reason. I mean, it, it, it it's always pretty devastating when somebody gets a hold of your token, right? AWS has had this problem. GitHub's had this problem. Anytime that you're that you're building a repository of data that points out to other resources or allows for, um, yeah, scripting or pulling in or accessing of other of other you know services, you have to be able to integrate those tokens in at some point. And so there's always going to be this ability for someone else or for a developer not to realize that it's public and to drop those token values in there, right? So yeah, yeah okay, so you know when they started the article, they're like, oh, we found these on GitHub. Great, we know that that's an issue. All right, so GitHub hasn't built that integration yet. They're not looking for hugging face tokens because, you know, realistically, are you expecting GitHub to watch every single service that's out there and save you from it um, as a developer, right? You're not, right? Let's be honest. Um, hugging Face, like you, you, you get further into that article and they talk about how Hugging Face is doing the same thing and they have Microsoft tokens and other things that you can access through their search interface as well. And that's where you're going back to, yeah, like NPM, GitHub, PyPy, you know, every other repository, you know, package manager that's out there allows you to insert variables that you can then use when you make calls. Um, and so, yeah, like you expect to be able to do that as a developer. Um, you expect it to be protected from it. I don't, I don't know about that. Right. Like, um, I, I, you know, at some, at some point, it's on the developers and the hugging face is called out. Hey, you, you don't want anybody to get access to your API keys. We know this is developers, yeah. right? Like, you know, you have access to my, my get, uh, you know, my GitHub token, you have access, my Pat, you have access to my account period. And yes, GitHub does some things to protect me. If someone does get access to those, those API tokens and hugging face would probably, they'll probably get to that point as well. Um, but I don't really blame them for that, right? Like it's great, you know, it's great to call it out. It's great to ask for some additional security controls on top of that, but it's a natural evolution of a service that becomes popular. It really is. And I understand that 
quote unquote developers need to protect them protect themselves, you know, sure, cool. I mean, at the same time, who hasn't made a mistake, right? It's not that hard Yeah. to make these types of mistakes. It's not that hard to have a slightly off entry and your get ignore and a key gets, you know, pushed to a repo. It's just not that hard. And yeah, it's sort of like that thing of, um, it, it, it's kind of, and it kind of even bleeds into our next article again, accidentally, because it's like a philosophically, it, it is a thing of, um, how would, I guess, you, you know, it's not, it's not crazy to think that, um, GitHub could have looked at, you know, the, the current considering their huge push into AI and, but I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying it's not crazy to think that they could have built in a, you know, a scan for these types of keys, or maybe they already are. A lot of times this stuff is already happening behind the scenes. And with a pro a platform like GitHub, you know, it really takes a lot of testing when you integrate anything new, anything even small, it does like you have to, cause we're talking about a huge massive scale. You know, you have to be very, very careful when you're introducing changes. Um, so anyways, I, I, you know, it's, but it's, it's philosophically the cat and mouse game, right? It's like that. Well, okay. We have all these things we've built, but we didn't build it for this thing yet. So now this thing has to be brought yeah. into the fold because now it's a thing, you know, and it's like that again, philosophically, the, the whole, like, well, and it becomes a priority being in security. It is, it is. It's prioritization effort. And like, so from a program development. Okay. So if you put your CTO hat on as, you know, as Ken Johnson over at dry run security, right? Like what is the highest priority thing to get out the door? Is it searching for other people's API tokens in your code base? Really? It's not right. Like I'm like hugging face has like, you know, that the CTO, the developers, the security team over there is focused on delivering the product and it being stable. Um, because guess what? If they don't do that, they're not going to meet their investors expectations. They're not going to meet that, like all their other deadlines and yes. Okay. It's great. You know, that lasso security, whoever went out and found this, but, and it's changed the prioritization. I'm sure at hugging faces, uh, on their JIRA board as to what they actually have. It to should. Next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, because now it's a thing. Um, but had they not highlighted it, um, eventually it probably would have come out, right? Like, you know, it would have, um, it's just a matter of, yeah. Was that the top on the, was that the most sensitive function or the, you know, that the highest priority for hugging face? Nah, probably not. Right. No, no, definitely not. Um, of all the millions of things they've got going on, I'm sure that's not the highest. It doesn't mean it's not important. It's just like, okay, cool. This is another thing to kind of shore up in various ways. So yeah, you're right. It's, it is a bit on, and I'm happy to be clear. Like, this is great that another, that uh, a security researcher did some, or in this case, a company, but yeah, security researcher uh, went and looked into, you know, this, and like you said, created it, made it a priority. So I, I applaud that. That's awesome. Um, it's just not, it's just kind of funny because like, to me, it's just like the same thing in a different form again. And, uh, yeah. so we'll watch the evolution, uh, for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just it, right? Like, okay, you're coming up with a program manager, you're building a, a package manager. I mean, maybe this is one of the things that just becomes a bigger issue, right? Um, mm -hmm. it probably will over time because, 
yeah, the more popular you get, uh, the more likely it is that you're going to have this, uh, you know, you're going to have these tokens, you become a watering hole. Uh, and, you know, okay, I go back to my, you know, 60s, 70s termin uh, terminology for security issues. And watering hole attacks is, you know, in that list, because the second that something becomes popular, you can use that to attack other people. Um, whether that is, you know, hosting content that's unintended, uh, people pushing out sensitive information to that, it's a place that I can, you know, I can go for that. And, th and that's going to be the natural progression here as well. Okay, Hugging Face is now popular, people are going there, they're pulling code down. Um, all right, what happens when I push up malicious code, when I push up a malicious model, when I have something else that goes on inside of their platform to target the users of that platform, it's going to happen, right? Same thing happened with GitHub with like the, you know, go the ability to pull packages directly from GitHub. And, you know, there, there's just like so many of these issues that are going to bleed from package manager to package manager. Um, you know, may, maybe maybe we should start a you know OWASP top ten for package managers. I, yeah, you know, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, we token is another other right sensitive. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's 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 an interesting space. I know that uh, you know it's going to be a lot of the same things that have plagued us in software security, just with a slightly different bend in this this new AI LLM world. And yeah. That's that's. That's okay, you know. We're just doing our best to be the cleanup crew, as usual, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Okay, but that so that does bring us to this next article, though, right? Because I, I know there's feelings about, <laughs> feelings about it. Let me post it here. Um, okay, this is from Kelly Shortridge. Um, it's one that she posted not too long ago. The title of it is "Cybersecurity Isn't Special." Um. Yes, and uh, like I have like initially like my my reaction to this is yeah I agree right um, and I, I know we're going to dig into some of the points that are you know that she brings up here um, in general uh, security is just another facet of business um, like the the more that we treat it like a process that we treat it with the same discipline that we treat development engineering um, other things the better off we're going to be. Uh, but then, you know, she digs in um, and uh, to the different points that someone that someone makes when they when they they cite why cybersecurity is different or security in general is different. Right. Um, and like I know if you've been in the industry for any amount of time, you've had these feelings, especially at different organizations, even coming in as a third party to a lot of organizations. I see I see security being treated in a multitude of different ways, right? Whether it's integrated into the security, like they have a, their own security team, it's integrated in with the technology operations, it's integrated into like, you know, legal or, right? Like I've run into basically every iteration of where a security team can sit and who they're responsible to. Um, and uh, the question I often get is, okay, what's best? Like, where is it that security should actually fit? And like, and I always hate to say it, but it depends. It's it's all dependent on the organization and where they can actually get shit done, right? Like that's what it comes down to is where are they most effective? But okay, so aside from that, the article itself. Let's let's start with this list of 
reasons why or why someone says cybersecurity is special. Because um, I know like you had an initial reaction to, especially the first one, right? Like it's hard to prove our value because it's based on counterfactuals. It's it's hard to prove that security did it did its job because the only time you know security is isn't effective is the time. Oh, well, how, how am I saying this? Um, you only notice security when it fails, right? Yeah. And that, yeah. and I think that's the, that that's the point of this statement. Um, and this is this is completely valid in a lot of organizations is that they're afraid that their product or whatever it is is going to be hacked. They're going to release data. Um, and so like how do you how do you justify a huge security budget budget when the only thing that you're protecting against is the existence of the the non-existence of an attack, right? Or the prevention of something. Yeah, but the article kind of ends up being more about at the, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, this is the, the, uh, the article, it's hard for me to formulate because it's, you know, we, we just saw this like, not what, like, a, I think we, an hour and a half ago, we kind of brought this up and started talking about yeah. it. Um, but something about the article itself, like bothers me and I don't, it's hard to put a finger on it. And I feel like it's maybe because well, I mean, if I'm being very truthful, the argument's a little boring. I've heard this many, 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 for many, many, many years that like security's not special and all that stuff. So this is nothing new. Um, also the solutions at the end of the article are stuff that we're already doing and have been doing for for several years now. So I'm, I, I think maybe that's what bothers me is the article's premise, like I think what its goal is and how it structures the conversation to get to that goal are, I don't like the way that the path that we got to get to the goal, but I think the goal is ultimately, all right, in presumably security shops, not the security shops I've worked with, right? Because like I've been fortunate enough to, you know, when I worked at GitHub, work around, we, we had these AppSec councils, they still have them. Um, and it consists of all these companies doing really awesome AppSec work, maybe even considerably bleeding edge. So I recognize that there's parts in the industry, there's, there's many, I'm sure, security shops that are still on the, the like block things. Um, so mm -hmm. like have a sprint, do a review and block. I'm sure there's got to be shops still doing that. Um, that's not that interesting to me because those shops just haven't caught up to where like the, the industry is going yet. They will. They'll get there eventually, I'm sure. Um, I think what it's really trying to say though, is that the way we've implemented our processes, uh, aren't great and that there are, um, it's usually a focus on kind of, if I had to really get succinct, the premise is that we're all just trying to make sure everything is 100% secure. And then only once we feel like software's at that point, can it leave and go to, to people. I don't feel that that's again uh, the true of a lot of the the, the more evolved app, appsec shops that I've seen out there. Right, it's more of exactly what she talks about at the end, which is like uh, or the recommendations, which are like paved paths. Yeah, paved paths are very important. You should 100% overwrite insecure functions. You should say, hey, we're going to bolster the security of whatever these chosen frameworks are. We should have. 
you know, review process isn't so much a review process, but it's a awareness process. And if you're off the paved path, then, you know, here's things to be aware of. And we'll have like special exception cases and ways and process to handle those special exceptions. A lot of people have gone to having their developers do their own threat modeling. And that's another sort of solution to not be a roadblocker, but, you know, reduce risk meaningfully. There's a whole bunch of other, essentially, this is actually the blog I put out on app. Uh, the blog I put out today for, for excuse me, for dry run talks about risk reduction, but that's essentially, I think what is really going for is like, um, when you look, when you zoom out of all the recommendations, that's, that's like building standardized patterns, abandon the perimeter model, advise, don't dictate, ask platform teams to integrate security, follow platform SREs lead. They're all things we've started to move towards three years ago, four years ago, at least maybe six years well, ago. So I'm, I'm I mean, just like, yeah. I don't mean to crap on the article, but I think the premise is correct. Risk reduction is correct. I just don't, I don't like the whole, well, let's start off with a really negative sent, sentence uh, that assumes that all these cybersecurity people are just people that think they're so amazing and special. I don't know if that's the right way to open up that conversation. You know what I mean? It's kind of well, been it's, done. It's kind of old. Yeah. And so I'm well, not and, trying to crap on, cause like I respect Kelly. That's not the point. I'm just being very honest about my thoughts on this blog. Yeah, and and I was going to say that maybe that's that's where the the reaction is coming from for you is that we are framing things based on um a set of what six criteria that we have discounted for years, right? Um we mm -hmm. we've always known that we we shouldn't be approaching security from this way, right? Like um yeah, I, I mean, uh, software systems are so complex. How could we ever hope to understand them or secure them? Oh, come on, right? Like, you know, we're developers. They're not complex. Let's be honest. Like, you know. It, I mean, they might be overly unnecessarily complex sometimes. Complex, but, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's not, but, that wasn't, that yeah. shouldn't be that way. That's not, yeah. It's not it, it, ideal. It, it, I mean, and, and granted, right? Like, it's probably more that, you know, as you're trying to market yourself and like have a catchy headline and a title, right? Like, you know, um, I, the whole reason that we're talking about it, right? Because it pops up and, you know, cybersecurity isn't special and we start to, you know, at least have some thoughts about it to see if there is anything new that's in there um, from a an approach perspective that we should be considering. Um, so, I, I mean, that, I that, agree that's probably- highly with the yeah. Yeah. That's probably what it is. I mean, no, I agree. I will say I agree with some of the things like um, software resilience versus being completely, you know, 100% because it's not going to, it's just not a realistic goal. But uh, in terms of like being 100% locked down before sh software ships, I mean, you, you can, as long as it's super small software, you don't ship that often and you have like a big team to review. Um, basically, my first, you know, a couple of years of GitHub. Uh, if you have that scenario, yeah, you, you can, you, but most, most of the time it's more about resilience, right? It's, it's making sure that you have like all of the things that, that, that are talked about there. I just don't, I just don't think cybersecurity is special. I don't know that I know anybody who thinks cybersecurity is special, you know, or at least have, have ever communicated that to me. So that's why the, the first part of it's kind of like, I think be a better, a better premise here would be, okay, what are some strategies for resilience and risk reduction um, and how can we, you know, achieve those goals rather than, than spending so much time kind of with this emotive sort of 
um, assumption of how we all feel about the industry and ourselves and whatnot. So that, you know, yeah. respectfully, I like some part of the article and I don't like some other parts of the article. Yeah, advise, don't dictate, right? Ask platform teams, provide isolation patterns, conduct user research, right? Like it's all, yeah. It's stuff that yeah, we've I mean, talked like, about in the past, right? Yeah. Caught software and isolating it. I mean, we definitely did at GitHub uh, when I, we changed our strategy after, I don't remember when, but uh, the early days of when I was at GitHub, we did that, right? We would take a, we would take any application that not just COTS, but any application we even built that didn't do anything like with, you know, auth or uh, store any meaningful data or anything like that. We put that on, you know, I'm okay to say it now because there's nothing on Heroku anymore that I know of. But at the time we had put everything on Heroku um, just because it was like anything that didn't, um, as a means of isolation, anything that wasn't like scary, we just put it over there. We're like, hey, hands off, you know, yeah. and we yeah. don't really concern ourselves with it. Um, everything else that is important is self-hosted, goes through the pro appropriate processes and all that stuff. And that's how actually one way we were really able to take a small team, but also relatively a small amount of engineers at that time and do, you know, most mostly manual code reviews with the majority of uh, significant feature shipping, if not all, and new services coming online. Yeah, the re well, the well, user research one's interesting though. What do you think of that? The the conduct user research point. Um, let me see. Um, goals, constraint, workflows. So an example would be yeah. she mentions like SSO. rolling out SSO. Yeah. Uh no, I. I'm with it. Like, you know, a, a lot of that goes back to this idea of um, developers and users understand an application better than like a security team. Well, okay. Let me, let me back up better than a third party that's coming in and like trying to test an application. Um, and this goes back to like my sputter days of, Hey, guess what? We should be writing user acceptance tests that with a security bent as a as opposed to hey we're just going to go run you know burp sweep against an, an app and try and test it and find vulnerabilities right um and you know we always have this discussion right like uh, you know we've had multiple multiple companies that we've worked with where we've recommended things like, hey, uh, you know, CAPTCHA or 2FA or SSO, and, you know, they default to using reCAPTCHA and then tune it up so far that it almost becomes impossible to use from a user perspective, like a login process. Um, you know, and, you know, from a testing perspective, yeah, like we can laugh about it because, you know, I start to question my sanity on whether or not I'm a robot because I get so many pop-ups and I'm identifying chimneys and bicycles and crosswalks and all that jazz like over and over and over to test an application. Um, but when, when the application functionality doesn't match the security that you're putting in front of it, that's where the user experience fails. And that's where I go back to, yes, UI research is important, right? User experience is, is important and it's great to have like the most secure product ever but guess what if you're some social media site 
that you know doesn't handle credit cards that's all just user posted content or whatever it is right like you're an ex you're somebody else maybe there's not there's not the need for you know 15 layers of authentication for someone to get in because hey, like you're just not protecting you know you're not on the level of you know some dod installation and the most secure product is great but it doesn't match the business case it doesn't mass match a user's expectation and if you don't, guess what? Security actually becomes a blocker to users onboarding and to users actually paying for an application. You've just killed the business, right? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I that, that's where I go with it as far as like building out user experience and doing user experience testing. Uh, because, you know, and to Kelly's point here, security is just one facet of an application. And, and at times, it's not the most important piece. No, and to, yeah, to add to what you're saying, you know, user experience, user experience isn't just like in, in an app, right? It's like in your processes too, right? It's like the process is like, we, we actually, I actually made um, things pretty hard for developers momentarily by uh, when we were at GitHub, um, we switched some things around in our review process and then immediate feedback when we talked to developers was like hey you know that's that's a bit that's a bit heavy-handed it's a lot you know also here's a bunch of other like friction points and so we just kept going back and refining you know refining and refining and getting feedback and refining and it's because like if um you make a process something that's actually not horrible to use uh, in our case, anyways, people definitely wanted to use it and definitely wanted to do the right thing and definitely wanted to, when audit time came, be the ones that can show that they did everything the right way. Yeah. Um, but if you make it so hard that they can't ship software, then nobody wants to use that process and we all kind of fall down. And that's just true. So anyways, my point is, it's not just tech, a technical type deal, right? It's, it's, uh, it's very much process as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I would agree with you, and it 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 partially stems from understanding what your audience is and who, you know what it is that you're trying to secure. Um, so, yeah, we have we have this discussion quite often as a third party coming in. And I know we did it, you know, as we worked together in previous jobs too, as a third party. When you're looking at code, is this this idea that what I rate as like the severity ratings that I end up with, even if I'm using something like CVSS, um, when I find a vulnerability, when I find an exploit, are not necessarily going to match what the business uh, what the business will interpret as risk to them and to their infrastructure. Right? Um, you ask me to come in and test an application. I find something like uh, SQL injection in the application, and I'm going to rate it as high or critical based on what I'm able to do and with the data that I'm going to be able to get out of that. But an organization should take that with a grain of salt um, since maybe that application is sectioned off. Like in, you know, the case that you're talking about, Ken, with GitHub, it's in, you know, it's been, um, you know, dropped onto a network where it doesn't have access to anything else. It's not, it doesn't hold sensitive data to the organization and it doesn't allow for functionality changes to the application's core project. And so, yes, there's some reputational risk and there's the possibility of taking down, uh, say, this integration. They're going to want to evaluate that separately, right? Um, 
And it doesn't mean that that's not a high risk vulnerability if you're looking solely at that application in the scope that we're looking at it. But it also means that the organization has to take that into account and it has to do some sort of risk analysis on all of the vulnerabilities and the prioritization. And this even goes back to what Hugging Face is dealing with now, right? Hey, how, how critical is it that we protect customers from exposing the API keys that we give them, right? Um, because it's, you know, it's partially on the customer to actually protect against that. But, um, you know, there's so many other things that I need to take into account as to what the prioritization is, what the risk is to my organization, that that's all going to feed into my own analysis of this. And like that's it, it always kind of shows an immaturity of an organization when they ask me as a third party to classify risk for the organization as a whole as you know based on a small scope of this single application that i'm looking at um, yeah because when they come back and they're like well that's protected and it's behind a firewall and i'm like great right like you know take that you into that account. <laughs> yeah they're like well could mm -hmm. you lower that risk and i'm like you want me to lower risk and i like i'm i haven't tested all of this other stuff i have no idea whether or not your firewall is effective whether or not like your VPN is restricting or like all of this other, all of these other controls that you have in place. I'm like, that's why you have a security team. That's why you have like threat modeling. That's why you have all these other pieces. And if you ask me as a third party to come in and, and tell you what that prioritization should be, I'm afraid for other things that are going on in your organization because right, like, you know, Typically, what I'm looking at is not your highest priority app. Yes, sometimes it is, but most of the time, it's probably not. And yeah, there's there's just so much more that goes into it. Dude, right? I'll never forget the first time I ever experienced that, which was obviously immediately in my career, right? Where they're like, <laughs> they're asking all these questions, and I'm like, what? why? Like, I don't know. These are just this is very simple. Like, it's here's the thing, and here's the. The, the way it responded and it's very obvious and that's the level of criticality for that vulnerability. Um, I, you know, it makes sense. Like, uh, yeah. What, why are we having this? And I, I, I remember scratch. I, I honestly, I remember back to this cause it was like the first time I ever dealt with it. And I was like, I was like really just confused until it dawned on me. Oh, they just want an exec sum that looks clean and like they can share <laughs> yeah. with someone somewhere. And, uh, yeah. So the first time you ever go through that and you've never experienced that, you're like, what in, What are you trying to do here? What, why, why are you doing this? And then you realize like, yeah, I just didn't. And then that becomes a little depressing later down the line, you know, years into it where you're like, all right, I know what's, I know what, what it's going to be. I'm going to give this report. Yep. You're going to try and negotiate it down. Like, yep. All right, here we go. Here comes the negotiations and me making it defensible as to how I gave this rating and yeah, all that yeah. fun. All that fun jazz, well, as they say. Well, and, it, and it's interesting as you move through different kind of industries and how that happens, right? Like, you know, um, as you deal with security teams at large organizations like a GitHub, right? Like they understand this process. They have a whole like risk categorization and prioritization process of what they push to developers. And like, I, you know, I have other organizations that I work with that that's one of the first things that we talk about is, hey, you've got a vulnerability management program, right? You are bringing those all in. It doesn't matter the source. You're talking about them. You're deciding what should be worked on, how it should be done. And I'm like, that's awesome. 
And then, you know, I get into like the web three space and the developers just freak out, right? Like on anything because for whatever reason, like in web three, since everything's public, they always want to publish all their reports, right? And push them out to the, to the, to the world. And so having anything on the report that says they're insecure is just, you know, world ending and they'll like negotiate and they'll complain and they'll, you know, they'll give you like 15 ways to why this isn't a, isn't a real thing. And it like, it, it kind of goes back to maturity of the different, uh, you know, verticals, I guess, business verticals in how they approach security and, you know, uh, yeah, the, the maturity levels of those organizations um, or those developers, what they've dealt with in the past. I don't know. I, I think I mentioned it on the podcast previously. Like we had a company last year, um, early, or was it early this year? Whatever it was, right? Like we went in, did a full like code review and assessment, um, found some fairly serious things. So, you know, produced a report and the, the executive summary, just like in the objective summary, right? Like, hey, they went through and fixed everything. But the initial analysis was, yeah, this is this application is moderately insecure, right? Yeah. Those two words by themselves um they came back and like the security guy came back to me and he's like is there any way is there any way that we can get taken off the report i'm like well the next sentence says like it's been fixed and it's now and he's like yeah but i'm just getting and i'm like it is what he's like I, he's like i know I, um can we do another assessment in two weeks <laughs> right like so oh basically God. they I'm... paid for us to come back in and I was like, guys, right? Like, you know, and it was all because of this customer perception that, oh, like we had a vulnerability. I'm like, it shows more security know-how and security like mindset of, hey, we had these vulnerabilities, we went in and fixed them than it does to be like, hey, we were always secure, right? Like it just like from an auditor's perspective, from customer perspective, we know that every organization that's out there has vulnerabilities. Um, it's a matter of yeah. when, not if. Um, so like you want to discover them and quash them, show that process. Don't, don't show that clean report. I just, it was just like, uh, and the, the security guy to his credit was just like dumbfounded that he had to even ask us and that they were willing to spend that much more money to go in and do the same thing again. Right. And I was like, well, I, you know, Great, right? Like you know, we'll do what you want you to want at what you want us to, um, but like getting that check boxes, it, it's disheartening, right? Like, yeah, it's disheartening. Well, it's disheartening too because you want to be, you know, entirely. I mean, I do, anyways. I mean, I, I know you do. Uh, entirely objective, you know, as much as a scientific sort of approach to all of it and the results therein, yeah. you know, as possible. Obviously, there's always gonna be a little, little bit of art to this this uh this field as well but uh yeah you, you just don't want to be subjective and actually larry mentioned that he said like you know if you're trying to uh if you're waiting for for someone to identify your risks for you you're going to get a freemium risk assessment he's absolutely right like the beautiful mm -hmm. part of doing a an, a an application assessment and giving your uh summary opinion is that it's it's not as much of an opinion as it is uh, I, I'm saying opinion. I really shouldn't say opinion because it's it's not necessarily an opinion or it's sort of like, well, given this level of uh, surface available in the application and then the results that we had come back and then what, you know, 
what the purpose of the application is, um, who it's doing that for. Yeah, you know, this is uh, got some insecure stuff or not. And here's typically, you know, you put in how many of whatever findings you or that's the way it used to be, right? You put in like, here's the amount of findings that we have, basically like stats, you know, yeah. here's what their criticality was. Um, here's what's been remediated. Uh, pretty, pretty normal stuff, not very subjective. And that's the beauty of it, right? Um, so then, you know, if you're asking for just like a broader risk assessment, it's like, well, that's going to be very opinionated, very based on my experiences, that becomes much more subjective. And again, I don't like to your point, I don't have the full picture of your organization, of this application's importance in it, what politics you guys all have going on, what your business goals are, you know, what what things you might be regulatory things you might be dealing with. I don't know all that stuff. I have no, I don't know how many security, you know, controls in general you have. It's just, I don't know that stuff. So you want me to sit here and make that judgment. It's like, yeah, I'll do that all day. <laughs> Yeah, everyone sorry, has a, big, a, a phrase from Tommy boy, but yeah, if you want me to take a, you know, in a box and label a guaranteed, I can do that for you. But you know, anyways. <laughs> well, I, I, and I've had it the flip, the flip side too, right? Like where the security team can't get traction. And so they'll come in and I'll be like, Oh yeah, we found these things. The app's like, okay. Right. And they'll be like, well, can we get you to like raise these two to, you know, high. So we have to, like, we force the team to go fix them. I was like, okay. Right. Like I, I, again, right. The, the political ramifications of that. I'm always like, Ooh, yeah. Like, yeah. And as a business yeah. owner, right. They're, that's, I mean, these are your customers. So it's, yeah, it's just such a, it's a, it really is like a tough, uh, tough, uh, situation you know to kind of navigate always but I, I think like that that's that having those soft skills or why it's it's you know or why it's so critical to have those soft skills as a consultant yeah for, for yep. these moments yeah but anyway but yeah well, any other I, final thoughts on this article by the way yeah um because um, i'm just like i know she brings up a lot of stuff some stuff we agree with some stuff not um but uh you know if i i mean if I want to play the game of indulging, you know, that cybersecurity special, I, I would say, no, it's not. I mean, you and I have talked about that a lot. Um, we have a different bend to it. Um, it's kind of funny too, like it's stuff like uh, uh, the presumption that we believe that attackers are especially clever humans whose purpose in life is to harm us. But that's very, it's, it's contradictory in a way because like I would say most of what you hear people, security people say is like, it only takes an attacker getting lucky once and us doing the right thing all the time, you know, but mm -hmm. them getting lucky once. That doesn't, that doesn't sound like we think that they're the most amazing, clever humans. It just sounds like, yeah, if someone makes a mistake and they happen to capitalize on it and are lucky enough to, you know what I mean? So there's just like these statements that are contradictory. Um, the cost center thing is real. I, I will agree with that. I think we are seen as a cost center. Um, and I don't think that that's a bad thing. And there certainly are other parts of the business that are cost centers. So. Mm -hmm. you know, deal with it. it yeah 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 I, I and full disclosure man i've never been a c-level suite executive uh for a security program inside of a large org so th that's one where i'm like i'd actually be very curious to hear what it's like to go up and you know year after year or qu quarter after quarter or whatever it may be fight for a budget um, that would be a very interesting thing to hear from someone because I don't think I've ever been privy to the, you know, the inner communication uh, that occurs over things like that. 
Yeah. Well, and I know that's always the, the, the I mean, it kind of goes back to, right. Like it's hard to prove a negative um, that the right. organization is effective, right. Like, cause you want to, you want to cut down on a, you know, a budget, you know, when times are tight. Um, it's, it, it's, it's hard to prove what's going on, but then you also on the flip side, that's where you get all of these like really whacked out numbers on, Oh, you know, our security team blocked, 2 million attack attempts, right? It's because someone, you know, scanned our network interface with Nmap, right? Like, or whatever it is, right? Like, it's always this, like, we 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 have to justify our value from a CISO perspective um, as a security organization, but how do you effectively do that, right? Like, you know, from a process perspective, there's other things that you can tune into. And we can do a whole nother, you know, talk on security metrics if we need to at some point. Um, other things that are more effective than, oh, we blocked all this stuff on our outer edge, on our WAF or whatever it is, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because we know, I, I mean, we know those tools, right? Like that's one of the, th the places where it'd be interesting to see how AI starts to analyze those different um, attack scenarios and what's actually happening um, because of, yeah, like, it, you know, the understanding that goes into it, the context of what's actually going on. Um, but a security metrics is another place where we could turn that. Hey, uh, since tools. you brought it up, I do want yeah. to plug it once again. Um, uh, okay. It was plugged in our Slack, but I'm going to plug it again. It's the uh, Stride GPT model that... Uh, Mr. W. Adams put out, um, but okay. uh, anyways, it's it's pretty cool. It's essentially it is a uh, let, me, let me make sure this is actually a model. It's my understanding that it's a model of threat. Oh, so it's an AI powered threat modeling tool that leverages OpenAI's GPT GPT models to uh, generate threat models and attack attack trees um, based on Stride. So. I actually plan on giving this uh, a bit of a run. It is using OpenAI, and like that's cool for um, proof of concept. I would say here's here's my take. If in case anyone's wondering on on AI stuff, definitely use OpenAI to get off the ground. To it, it get when I say get off the ground, I mean experiment locally and all that stuff. When you move into production data is the time you want to start thinking about migrating off to you know an LLM that you actually can control and um, at the very least uh, not have, you know, your, your business cases and proprietary stuff sent to you. Um, so, but yeah. you know, that, that's been a question I've asked, I've been asked, um, you know, this Seth, cause we had this conversation in Austin where someone was like, when I gave my CSA talk, they were like, Oh, um, Ken's just recommending you send all your data to open AI. I was like, hold on, what now? No, no, no. I gave you early examples of how to use LLMs to do some analysis. And I even said, this is a good way to kind of get started. This isn't how I would finish, right? Um, but in any case, yeah, that's my take. Cool. Yep. Nice. Um, well, good. I know we've been going for an hour. Uh, feels like, you know, you and I just can go. So um, we'll go ahead and close it out for today. Um, yeah, just remember that you know there's always there's always ways to approach security, right? Like it's not you know we're not necessarily special, right? But um, some of the some of the initial arguments there are like stuff that we've uh, 
we've discussed for years. Um, I don't know. I, any any closing thoughts for today from you before we? Besides, pause? thank you for for uh, the, doing the show this many years for me, Seth. I mean, we're at the holiday times. I feel like a little, you know, a little nostalgic, a little thankful and grateful. And so, you know, I appreciate you doing this show with me for for nearly six yeah. years now. Uh, appreciate everybody who's supporting. Yeah, I know and listening. I did actually get those. Uh, <laughs> finally got all the uh, the swag and all the the prizes and stuff for Secdim shipped out last week. So they everybody has their tracking links and uh, can can you know somebody already got some of their stuff. So I got a nice message about that. And uh, for Good. our international folks, I can see it. It's almost there. The last thing I'll I'll just mention once again. All right, if you'd like to try the open beta for app.dryrun.security. Um, and you want to get activated quicker, uh, you know, because we're vetting folks uh, before we just activate them. Um, just DM me in our absolute AppSec Slack or hit me up and DM on Twitter or just send it to um, Ken at AppsecAppSec.com. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, Actually, sorry, not Ken at Absolute AppSec. Jeez, Ken at dryrun.security. Uh, <laughs> sorry, my bad. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, okay, cool. That's all I'll say. Thank you, everybody. Seriously, it, it's really, I don't know, it's just really nice yeah. to have uh, this community. It is. It is pretty awesome. So join us on Slack if you're not there already. Probably you are, but um, if you're not, come join us. Yep, Merry Christmas, Jason. Thanks so much. We'll see everybody online. Cheers. I can figure out how to.